It's the Literary Lectures Podcast, Kings of Horror episodes, reading and digesting books from the masters of modern horror, and viewing the films. Your co-hosts tonight are Vicky Ray, Leandro Ghazi, Craig Johnson, David Grant, and Keith Shago, giving you a word-by-word, scene-by-scene, and everything in between, and everything in between, and everything in between, and everything in between. Welcome to Literature Lessons Podcast, and it's our books to screen, they're kings of horror, and we are covering Peter Strub's ghost story in the 1981 film, A Ghost Story. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Leandro Gazi with us. Hello, Leandro. Hi, how are you today? I'm good, and we got Craig Johnson. Hello, Craig. Hello, everyone from East Finchley in London. Hello. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, Vicky Ray and Joe Randazza will not be with us due to prior commitments, but we will struggle on without them regardlessly. And besides, they're just dead air anyway. So, yay, we got the live air with us today. And if you two are listening to us, this is what happens when you don't make the podcast. You become subjects of my ridicule. Anyway, passing on, I'm Keith Shago, and let's find out what each of us has been up to. Starting with you, Craig, what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Um, well, I've been... I watched. I I basically binge watched all the Halloween movies minus the the Rob Zombie movies um, from start to finish. Uh, but I've had this really icky cold for the last week, so I've been taking lots of Lemsip and uh, um, just resting main, mainly. I think it's the weather change because it's like suddenly like freezing cold outside. So, yeah. um, but I've managed to sort my merchandise out. So if you check out Craigsworld.org there's merchandise things on there like water bottles and pillows and things like that. If you want to check it out um, or you can Instagram me at Craig's world too. And then there's a link tree and you can see all my lovely galleries of um, artwork and bits and stuff I've been up to. So check it out. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I got to admit that I kind of got that coldy fluey thing today as well. I find, I'm finding myself like snoozing all day today and then and last night I was like you know when you go in that deep sleep and it's just like and then trying to wake up and you feel like you're in paralysis <laughs> you know? it's kind of weird so, yeah. so I've been having that as well so yeah I feel for you I got that as well a bit croaky as well what about yourself Leandro what are you doing up? uh well carry on uh, working I've been working my allotment and I've been um getting some onions um the other day with a friend I went to London on Friday to watch Wicked with a friend and came back today. We went to the Shark. And, yeah, basically the same stuff, like going to the gym now and, yeah, 
same same stuff. Reading. You went to go see Wicked the musical. Yeah, 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 the musical. Yeah, it was really cool. I would, yeah, well, I, we're covering that next year. Whoa. <laughs> well, well, I would like. I was telling my friend, I would like to read actually the book because. Um, I watched a movie, but I watched two movies. One with um, the one that went black and white. I can't remember the name of the actress. <laughs> um, and the Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland one. Yeah, Judy Garland. And another one. And then when I went to watch this musical, I was a bit confused because I, I was asking my friend, okay, which, hap- which thing happened first? And he said, it's really hard to to tell you because it's like all mixed up sometimes mm. but that was really really cool well I mean The Wizard of Oz was written in the 1900s it was written by Frank Baum there's a whole series of books there's like 18 to 32 books of Wizard of Oz oh, wow. that were written um, and then basically the classic film the Judy Garland film is kind of a bastardized version of the, the book itself it does carry on um, she does go to lots more different kinds of lands and odds and stuff like this and so on and so forth. Um, Wicked basically came out in, God, I guess it's the 1990s now. And that's basically is that um, Gregory, his surname um, escapes me, basically decided to do stuff from the Wicked Witch's point of view about how she became who she is. And, um, and I highly recommend the book Wicked, um, Gregory Mc mcguire is his name sorry that's it the book is fantastic when i read the book i was floored by it but the musical is kind of a bastardization of that book wicked because wicked is basically about it goes a lot deeper it's about the politics that's going on there and what's happening in um oz from a political point of view and so on and so forth so but i highly recommend the book the reason why we were we were going to do it this year we're going to do it next year is because they're doing a movie version of wicked so I figured Christmas oh, next year we'll do the book Wicked and then do the movie Wicked and then we'll probably do maybe a Wizard of Oz spinoff for our Christmas thing because nothing spells Christmas better than the Wizard of Oz. So, and for myself, what have I been up to? Um, well, I've been watching, going through my, you know, watching a lot of horror films and stuff like that due to Halloween being last month, last week. And I've seen some good stuff on Shudder and Disney+. Plus. I'm watching a good series on Amazon at the moment called I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, it was kind of a spinoff of the TV series. Different characters, different locations. But that's quite fun to watch. And finished watching Creepshow, which is available on Shudder. And we had Stephen Langford, who actually writes Creep- for Creepshow, was on our show discussing that. So that was quite good. But besides that, watching bits and bobs, nothing too exciting. Working nine to five. So, yay. Turned into a stereotype. Yay. So, other than that, I think it's time to go into ghost stories. Now, Ghost Story is a horror novel by American writer Peter Straub. It was published on January 1st, 1979 by Coward, McCain, and Grugan, and adapted in 1981 as a horror film minus the fifth protagonist, Louis Benedict. It was a watershed and became a national bestseller and cemented his reputation as one of our kings of horror. 
So we're going to do is we cut the synopsis of Ghost Story and we'll be right back. Ghost Story by Peter Straub. The novel opens with a man named Donald Wanderley traveling with a young girl whom he has apparently kidnapped. Eventually, Donald and the girl arrive in Panama City, Florida, at which point the novel jumps back in time to the events of the previous winter. Living in a small upstate New York town of Milburn, a fictional location which is indicated to be in Broome County, east of Birmingham, are four elderly men who are members of the clique called the Chowder Society. John Jeffrey, a doctor, Louis Benedict, a retired entrepreneur, Sears James, an attorney, and Ricky Hawthorne, an attorney, and James's partner. For the past 50 years, these best friends have gathered together and told each other stories and have been great companions. However, their group once consisted of five members. One year earlier, Jaffrey had thrown a party at his house in honor of visiting an actress, and their fifth member, Edward Wanderley, had died in an upstairs bedroom during the festivities. There's a look of absolute horror on his face, as if he had been frightened to death. Ever since that night, the friends have been plagued with horrible nightmares, and have taken to telling each other ghost stories. At one of their meetings, Sear tells them a ghost story about when he was a young man. Before deciding to attend law school, James is taking a teaching position in a rural community. He developed a fascination with one of his students, a slow, mentally disturbed young boy named Fenny Bate. Fenny and his sister were ostracized by the community, and upon making some inquiries, he finds out why. The two children once had an older brother named Gregory, and it was generally believed that Gregory sexually molested his younger brother. The mother of the siblings was dead, their father had abandoned the family, and Gregory was his younger sibling's guardian. One day, while repairing a roof, Gregory fell off the ladder and was killed, and someone thought they saw the two young bait children running away from the scene. Sears tells his friends that in time he began to see a threatening young man hanging around the school, and he eventually came to believe it is to be the spirit of Gregory Bate. Sears attempted to save Fenny from the clutches of his dead brother, but to no avail. Fenny died, and Sears left the small community when he had finished the school year. The next morning after telling his story, Sears and Ricky are called out to the farm of one of their clients, who has found some mutilated livestock in his field. Later in the car, Sears reveals to Ricky that the previous night's story was not fictitious, but had actually happened to him in his youth. Sears has admits that he is scared, and as all, all the members of the Childhood Society, decide to write to Edward's nephew, Donald Wanderley, as Donald had written an occult novel, and they think that his research abilities might be employed on their behalf. Before Donald arrives, however, Jeffrey dies in an apparent suicide by jumping off a bridge. Donald arrives just as the funeral is coming to a close. The three remaining members of society tell him that they want to investigate any possible avenues that he might deem appropriate. Several years previously, Donald's brother David had died under mysterious circumstances, and it led him to write his horror novel. Donald tells them the story of what he thinks actually happened. He had landed a teaching position at Barclay on the strength of a good reception for his first novel and began seeing a beautiful graduate student named Alma Mobley. At first, he was inseparable from her, and there was a talk of marriage. But over time, he began to notice strange things about her and felt there was something unnatural about Alma. For example, she had a sinister drug-dealing acquaintance named Greg Benton, who was the guardian of a mentally disabled younger brother. Even more sinister acquaintances who belonged to a cult associated with the Manson family and claimed to be in regular contact with the spirit of the dead man named Tasker Martin, 
who approved the relationship. Donald stopped seeing her as much. His work suffered and one day Alma simply vanished. Upon investigating, he discovered that a great many things that Alma had told him about her past were fabrications. For example, she claimed to be the daughter of a wealthy New Orleans artist named Robert Mobley, who had had two sons but no daughter. In fact, Robert Mobley had once had a bizarre experience somewhat similar to Donald's in which his son Shelby had committed suicide following an affair with a mysterious younger girl named Amy Mockton. Under the guardianship of a woman named Florence de Pacer, who employed a sinister man named Greg Gregorio as her chauffeur. A few months later, Don David called him and told him that he and Amy were engaged and that he wanted things to be right between Donald and his fiancée. Donald tried to warn David about Alma, but to no avail, and soon afterwards, David was dead. Not long after this, Louis Benedict is murdered in the forest, and Sears and Ricky decide that it is time to tell Donald the most terrible story that the Childish Society knows, and it is, too, is a true story. Fifty years previously, a young woman named Ava Galley had moved to the town. She was in her early twenties, and all five of the young men fell head over heels for her, although it was purely platonic love. One night in 1929, not long after Black Tuesday, Ava came to see them, but she was not acting like herself. She made sexual advances and belittled them. There was a struggle and Ava fell and hit her head. Believing her to be dead, they conspired to hide the body by putting it in a car and driving it into a d dead pond. But at that last moment, Ava's body disappeared from the inside of the car and there was a lynx looking at them from the other bank. Donald begins his research and quickly comes to the conclusion that what they are dealing with is a manito, or some other kind of shape-shifting creature. He also believes that Emma Mobley is actually Ava Galley, and is also Amy Mockton, and a mysterious young actress who was the guest of honor at the party in which she, his uncle died. He finds some of his uncle's tape recordings and listens to parts not even his uncle had heard yet, where she speaks directly to him and the surviving Chowder Society saying she belongs to an ancient race of beings and that she herself is old enough to remember the first humans in the country. Donald, Ricky, and Sears are joined in their struggle by Peter Barnes, a young man whose mother was killed by these creature servants, previously normal human beings who have been granted new life and powers. Sears is ambushed and killed in his car, and the survivors now realize that the reanimated Gregory and Finney are helping Ava in her endeavors and that Gregory is identical to Greg Benton, the drug dealer Donald had encountered in Barclay, and Fenny was Greg Benton's disabled brother, and Gregory and Robert Mobley, New Orleans acquaintances, Gregorio, were also one and the same. Gregory tells him that Florence DePazer helped resurrect him, and that Ava is also subservient to the DePazer woman. Gregory and Fenny attack Peter, Donald, and Ricky, in a movie theater, but they are both killed in the ensuing struggle, leaving Donald to realize that though they have otherworldly powers, the creatures are not truly immortal. The survivors track Ava down and defeat her, but she escapes in a new shape. Exhausted, Ricky leaves Milburn for an extended vacation with his wife, and Peter prepares for college. Donald keeps watch to see what form Ava will next appear in, and believes it to be the little girl in the opening part of the book. While in Florida, Ava emerges from the form of the little girl and attempts to twist Donald's mind. He is able to resist and kills her after she tries to take the form of a wasp to escape. Donald then prepares to go to San Francisco to hunt down the DePazer woman. And that is the synopsis for Ghost Story by Peter Stroke.
Hello, welcome back to Literature License Podcast, and we're discussing Ghost Story by Peter Straub, which was published in 1979. And starting with you, Craig, how did you find the book Ghost Story? Um, this book was really, really detailed. Um, it's a big book as well. I mean, it took me a good month to complete this one, and normally I'm quite fast with books. Um, but um, the, the detail was just really, really lovely. Um for example, I'll give you, a, I'll give you an excerpt. Um, when sleep finally came to Ricky Hawthorne, it was as if he were not merely dreaming, but had in fact been lifted bodily and still awake into another room in another building. He was lying in bed in a strange room, waiting for something to happen. The room seemed deserted, part of an abandoned house. Its walls and floor were bare planks, and the window was only an empty frame. Sunlight leaked in through a dozen cracks. Dust particles swirled in these stark rays of light. He did not know how he knew it, but he knew that something was going to happen and that he was afraid of it. He was unable to leave the bed, but even his muscles were working. He knew with the same knowledge that he would not be able to escape whatever was coming. The room was on an upper floor of the building. Through the window, he only saw grey clouds and a pale blue sky. But whatever was coming was going to come from inside, not out there. Um, I, I love how um, Peter Straub has just, he, even in like minuscule everyday stuff, he's really, really like detailed. Um, mm. And I really picked up on that. I really loved that book about the book. Um, and obviously I love the fact that the months tied in with the, the season that we're in as well. So it, it kind of, fitted like a jigsaw and it made me feel quite cozy and um you know but I think the I think the dark side of the of the book I think um you know I was confused a little bit I was at one point I thought is the lady a ghost or is she like an incubus or a succubus Mm. Um, and at one point in the book, they describe her as a shapeshifter, which was like, when I found that, I thought, oh, my days, that's like something out of the thing, you know? <laughs> so it, it had like quite dark um, undertones. Um, but yeah, really, really beautifully, um, really beautifully written. And um, yeah. I mean, what I found about Ghost Story is quite interesting is that um, basically you're expecting it to be about a ghost and it's not really about a ghost as well. So it's about a manitobe. And um, basically manitobe is a um, uh, is a fictional character that you would find. in. it's actually a Amer- Native American. And basically it's a shapeshifter that basically causes havoc and gets revenge based on the human race. And basically, and in order for it to sustain and have its willing done is that basically if it decides that if if it wants you to work for it it will offer you internal life but internal life would only be captured to you that after through your death and then basically that you will have internal life that you can resurface um as yourself as a ghost or a spirit world per se giving a 3d human context to yourself but you're there to do their their bidding Sort of thing. So you don't have any free will, though you can live through the ages. And what I quite like about Ghost Story is that you're never quite sure of anything. Basically, you start out in the beginning, basically, you start out with the kidnapping this girl, 
which I have to say that it's quite racy considering that, you know, he has to tie the girl to himself before he sleeps and stuff like this. And then they're in a hotel room and sort of thing. And then what we do is then we get pushed forward to the town of Milburn. Now, the thing about Milburn is what's quite interesting is, is that basically it's a fictionalized town, but it's actually not, but it's actually based on a town that's not too far from where I grew up. And that's where oh, it's actually where my sister, it's actually where my sister lives now in the town that they're based on. So for me, it kind of like, oh, okay, this is quite cool. But then, by, then we find out that basically the ghost stories that the Chowder Society are giving are saying are that, that they're not ghost stories; they're actually they're actually true. You know, we hear about Finn and how Finn's been having sex with his brother, and that basically the brother and sister kill him, and then he tries to save. You know, saving when he's you know being a school teacher, and then we find out that later that they are part of this Anne Bobley and you know Alma characters. Um, they're part of her her world sort of thing, and they made deals with her, and and it's you know it's like this great big murder mystery that has this you know horrific um, context to it in, in the supernatural, but then as the story goes on, you actually realize this, you know, it's not just the Chowder Society that, you know, that Alma's after. She's after, it's actually the whole town. Because by the end of it, I mean, she's pretty much sweeping through and killing almost everybody in this town to a certain extent and haunting everyone. And, you know, and then you find out the real reason being is that back in the, you know, turn of the cent, not about the 1910s, 1920s, you find out that basically that she was there. Um, in town, um, she was dating the, you know, the one guy that everyone wanted, you know, the, you know, the, the stud, who is the brother of these two sisters. He dies mysteriously. That basically he bleeds to death by having his limbs cut off, and the town pretty much shun her, except for the Chowder Society, who were boys, and because they used to go visit her and stuff like that. There's nothing sexual with the way that they're visiting it. They're like friends, and they're enthralled by her. And then basically what you end up having is basically is, is that when this happens, they kind of shy away from her as well. And then she, you know, then an accident happens and they thought that she died and they do, you know, and then basically they throw her, you know, they put her in the pond and stuff like this, thinking she died. And she basically shapes just into a fox who looks at them and runs away, but they didn't realize it was her at the time. And they find, they put all the pieces together and that's what I find what's quite interesting about Ghost Story is like this look. It is a thick book, but it's basically, it's all these little puzzles they're giving you, all these little pieces. And also it's like, and then they start joining them up. And then as the, the more and more they join them up, the mystery gets solved. And it's not straightforward. It's not a straightforward book, which is quite, in, you know, what I found quite interesting. It means that Peter Straub must have a very intricate mind about how he writes his stuff because it's not a straightforward tale sort of thing. It was like a three three tales in one almost. Mm. Um. And how did you find you being from UK, being English, you used to live near there, mm-hmm. did you, when he described the, the place, accurate or so-so? Very accurate. I mean, the thing is, is like, if you look at the town that I grew up on, basically the town I grew up is very colonial. It stayed very colonial. Everything in our, where I grew up, there hasn't been a house um, that's been built that's been passed um, 1872. It's the, the newest house that's built. 
And when you get to small towns in upstate New York and stuff like that, they're all like this. They're all like, you know, you have um, cities are not that, you know, they're not close. So you do have like a, a town center and you do have town politics and, every, you know, you have your own police department. We had one in Sackett's Harbor and they kind of know everyone and then you have your own lawyers and your own doctors and stuff like this. And, and they're all part of your community. So, so yeah, that all fits sort of thing. And the winters was like that sort of thing. I mean, winter, winter comes earlier in this book than in normal, but basically, you know, the reason why I don't go home at Christmas time is because I might not be able to get out for another two months if I do go home, mm. you know, um, you know, for me to get home, for instance, um, I have to fly to Toronto. I have to take a train to Kingston and then I have to take a ferry across the lake and then drive oh, wow. another and then drive another three to four hours from the middle of nowhere. So I think it's very pretty, but it's just in the middle of nowhere. And um, and you get cut off in the wintertime. We had the blizzard of 77 that we got off for six weeks from anywhere. Um, after I left, they had an ice storm and um, up there was without electricity for seven to eight weeks. So basically, you know, sometimes you have to live by your um, wood stove and, and you can't get out of your house. You can't go to a store. You can't do anything. And you're kind of, you're, you know, you just stay inside and you're kind of trapped. Um, you know, and you learn to get on with your family without killing each other. I mean, it's good for that. <laughs> and we had the extra thing that I grew up on a farm. So that way when you did get snowed in, I mean, those cows still need to be milked. So you still had to struggle through and basically you know i remember you know having snow drifts you know i grew up in a three-story house and and we had to actually slide down from the attic window one time because uh, we couldn't get out the door because there's all the snow was all piled up up against the house with me so so that was very well executed and stuff like this and the whole thing about like when you're going you know when you do out you know and and going into a snow drift and you like you know you have to like step into it and all of a sudden it's like you find yourself up to your waist and you can find yourself get buried sometimes in that sort of stuff so in the cold no matter how many scarves you have wrapped around or hats that you're just freezing because your nose feels like it's about to freeze off and sort of thing so he's very very accurate about that yeah i really enjoyed um how he was describing the things for example when he was with the little girl in the in the in the car like the details he was giving about the radio stations and how they were uh, really something really simple but really cool. You know, he was saying like um, he the man could know where more or less where he was going because the type of advertisement that were like passing on the radio. And I really enjoyed it because we have re well yeah we have read other books that he was giving you descriptions of places like for example Moby Dick and it was tedious. It was extraneous for me too much but this one it was explaining with like little things but it was but i could make the the mental picture of the situation like that and i, I like that yeah i found with peter strubs um it's, it's quite good because it's not like with his narrative passages they're kind of they are they are kind of mixed with dialogue and information but it, it's okay it kind of bleeds everything together so therefore it's not like endless You know, yeah. yeah, I mean, as you know, especially like last year when we were doing um, classic novels where you get like, you know, let's take Moby Dick, where you got 
50 pages worth of whaling about whaling and how to whale and so on and so yeah. forth. And you're just like, oh my God, get on with it. Where he kind of does the same thing, but he does it, but he does it so he'll give you little bits of information. But meanwhile, the, the action's still going. The action doesn't stop when he's giving you the information, which I quite like. I like that sort of thing because mm-hmm. you don't find yourself getting bored. You don't find yourself glassy-eyed. You don't find yourself like start scanning, <laughs> scanning the paragraph because like, oh, get well, on with it. I imagine that also happens if you're reading a, a novel that like is a classic, I imagine that for us, but we we did well. Uh, to imagine that that situation, you need, maybe you will need more details, mm. right? And the more closer we come to our time, I can explain you, you know something in a way that you will be making that um, picture really easily if I if I'm describing it properly. Mm. Well, I also think is that um, you know this book was in 1979 as well and. We're not as globalized as we are today, but at the same time, I think that, you know, you can give, you don't have, you know, back in like classic novels and stuff like this, people didn't really have a global sense of things yeah. that weren't were yeah. outside their world. So you yeah, didn't know how to get you know, a lot uh, of detail yeah. to make them understand where now, you know, especially like when you read novels today, they tend to be, they don't. You know, you, you don't have to give as much detail today because you know we're more we're even more global than we are at this time. So yeah, I do so understand. And I also think it's a modern way of writing as well, sort of thing that you just learn to, you know, you can carry. I mean, there you can carry your story forward by giving details and stuff like this. But you can you can you know you can breadcrumb that through your story sort of thing. So you know, instead of like giving it all at once feed a little bit each time, you know, feed a little bit as you're going through. Now there is a book that we will be doing at, you know, in this, in this season and American cycle, you're going to find a lot of descriptive text, which is, I found it'll be interesting to see when we get to that, because I found that book a little bit hard going and that's, you know, that's from the eighties sort of thing. But yeah, I think that Peter Straub, I mean, I can, this book actually did make me want to read more, read more of his stuff. And apparently some of his other books, you know, like Ricky Hawthorne is mentioned in Floating Dragon. Um, the Town of Milburn is um, mentioned briefly in Coco, another book he did in 1988. So it'd be, I'd be quite interesting. I'm, I've, the only Peter Straub I've read is stuff that he's written with Stephen King. He wrote um, Talisman with Stephen King. It's the one that they co-authored together. And then the sequel to that called Black House. And so I've read both of those and I quite like those. But I wasn't really, I didn't know too much about Peter Straub. The Ghost Story is one of those books I've always wanted to read, but I never actually got around to reading it till now. So I'm glad I got a chance to read it. So what did you think about um, basically having like the prologue? And then what we do is at the end of the book, we kind of get the whole, we get the whole book, the whole story and everything finished. It had a nice little, it finished everything off quite nicely. Did you like the way that happened, Craig? Yeah, I, I I liked it. It was nice to it tied it up, um, and I love um, yeah. Just um, it really tied it up at, at the um, with the ending, um, which made me question even more things. But um, I love I liked how with the descriptions of Bingham Binghamton, and they said that it was like a lifeline to the town sort of thing. It made me feel like it was like a living and breathing thing. 
Um, but let, can I, I just want to read this one as well, I, um, which was the Eva Galley and the Manitou. Um, and it says, it was surely October on this very night of last year that I journeyed. I journeyed down here, that I brought a dread burden down here, which was a Edgar Allan Poe quote. Um, and then he describes the weather, the season so well. He says, two days of a shift in the weather, the snow ceased and the sun returned. It was like two days of a wayward Indian summer. The temperature rose above freezing for the first time in a month and a half. The town square turned into a soupy marsh. Even the pigeons avoided. And as the snows melted, the river grayer and faster than on the day John Jeffrey stepped off the bridge, came nearly up to its banks. And... um. I love the description of the Chowder Society as well, how they were, it made me think like, is there other fraternity houses? <laughs> what, no, what do you call them? Eligible bachelors <laughs> societies. <laughs> like how many of these is going on in different towns and they must have their own quirks and their own, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, eccentricities, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it really came across in, in the in the book um, really well. Um, I mean, there, was- there's some quite interesting things here that um, that you know we have you know Donald and David sort of thing. David, you know, but it's the Ava Galley. So basically, Ava Galley is basically we find out that she's she's been Elma Mobley. She's been Ava Galley. She's Amy Mockton and a mysterious young actress who actually is a guest of honor at a party at which um, the um, Donald's uncle dies. Um, so we find out that this per- this person keeps appearing over and over as different things. But we also realize that there is the DePazer woman that basically that appears, and for some reason that that she had she's a key to everything. But we're not quite sure what that key is because the book basically ends with. You know, you know, Donald's going to hunt for her in San Francisco, and that's the way the book ends to find out what the linchpin is. But what I also liked is that some of the people that you know are hanging around Elma Mobley, especially as a graduate school, she's hanging out with people who were like were with the Manson family, and she's hanging out with people that were you know with you know, the Tasker Martin, and then you know, and then there's you know, and you know, but then you find out later that these people basically who are part of these things are part of her got ghostly you know you know fenton and part of these ghostly people that she's basically giving everlasting life but they come in different disguises and they're changing their names and but yeah it's a it's kind of a it's it's kind of a story that it's really interesting and i really like but it's kind of a story that once you finish it to try to wrap your head around sometimes it, yeah, there is a bit of confusion to it, but I don't know if that's confusion to that. You don't, it's not a confusion about understanding it. It's a confusion about how this could all happen. You know, if there is something out there that changes its name, but doesn't really. And she, I think she even changes her face a little bit, doesn't she? Every time that she appears, she's slightly different from before. Or, but yet, then, there, but there is, but her personality is not that different. And she just tends to disappear creates havoc, someone dies, she disappears, and then reappears as somebody else. But the thing is, you never really know 
the reasoning behind that, really. You know, she just sit there. And she, I think she's just there to create hell for these characters. You know, she basically gets in her head that she basically, you know, and the thing is, all we know is about what's going on in Milburn sort of thing. But obviously she's doing this wherever she goes. So obviously there might be like plenty of other towns and stuff like this that she's actually being doing this with. You know, and she and it's not just people who are against her or something like that. She kills people that she doesn't even that has she has no connection with. That basically she just feels like, you know, everything's her thing. People are playthings. Well, but uh, I found that you know now that you said that's really interesting. I've been thinking in a lot of movies and stories that I have heard. It's like sometimes, like some well, you know that the that pattern is like. A ghost is someone that died and have unfinished um, things, right? And I, I, now, even when I was reading about this story or other stories, it's like it's always something happens that, for example, that the ghost was from the person was from our time and has an unsolved problem. Then all all of us died because life ha- happened, and then probably until. The ghost will carry on going around pestering people until one person take the job of unsolve that problem, and then it will be kind of released. So I think mm-hmm. I would, I could say maybe it's, uh, related to that that it doesn't matter who in the process will be suffering because that until the problem has not been solved, the things mm-hmm. carry on and stay there. I know what you mean. I I understand. It's like yeah. So in some stories, you say, okay, okay, yeah. one, two, and three are the, the characters, and these are the ones who the, the bad things will be happening. Mm. But I think this, that could be not the case. I mean, I, I guess, uh, I mean, I found it, the only thing I found in the story that I found, that I tried to wrap my head around is the David and Donald, the brothers. So basically, she's with Donald, they meet at school, Um, and, and the thing about her character, the Manitoba is that it's about, it's kind of like a mold. She has a way of like, you know, like slowly, everything she touches slowly starts decaying. And, you know, with him, basically like, he's doing really well. He met this girl and then he meets her and then basically his career starts to, you know, suffer and everything like that. And then he goes to the, but, um, then he goes to the brother's cottage and they're staying there. And that's when he realizes that there's something a bit off with her. And then she, so they break up and then she goes running off to David. And then so David and, and David's like going, oh, we're going to get married. And he's like, you know, don't trust her or whatever. And then, of course, he dies, commits suicide for whatever reasons. And she just disappears. And that which, of course, you know, and then he writes a book, which actually causes because of he wrote this book and it's. He's not the son of one of the Chowders. In fact, he's the nephew of someone in the Chowder, which is, you know, when we get to the movie, we'll, we'll be discussing the differences here. But you kind of wonder, it's like, what, you know, you kind of wonder why she went after him because they're not direct ascendants. They're nephews sort of thing. And, you know, and to be honest, if she didn't go after them and basically... 
you know, Donald will never got involved in this and she could have basically had her way with whatever going on because it's Donald that comes back to town that puts all the pieces together and basically is able to figure out what exactly she is and what's going on here. And he's the one that puts everything together. But if she never screwed around with him at the beginning. She could have, she pretty much, she just had, you know, carte blanche to do whatever she wanted in this town. Because to be honest, the Chowder Society didn't really know much. And they couldn't, they were having difficulty putting the pieces together. They had an idea, but they couldn't get the pieces together. And it's Donald that was able to put everything together, which is um, quite interesting. But I mean, another thing that I found very interesting is with the young boy that basically, um, you know, gets kind of caught up with that with basically is, you know, his mom's having an affair with one of the Chowder Societies. Um, you know, she ends up at his house. Um, he's, you know, he's, basically casing it finds his mom goes in goes in after her because he realizes that there's something amiss here and then basically they choke her and kill her kill his mom sort of thing which gets him involved in the situation and i thought that was quite interesting to throw this young guy who has nothing to do with him really and, and i mean let's face it you got an 18 year old being thrown in the world with a bunch of 70 year olds which i thought was quite an interesting premise um and i quite like that sort of thing and then basically you know his girlfriend gets killed she gets she gets kind of wrapped up in it as well she's ended up there the sheriff starts going mad and that's what i quite like about the book as well that it wasn't just your chowder society or the people that she had direct access to but it was kind of affecting everybody and then you got like these neighbors and everything like that and it's affecting them and there's violence is growing and people are killing each other in their own homes and and that's what I quite liked about Ghost Story, that it wasn't just a story about these key characters. It's basically a whole story about the town itself and how the whole town is decaying and falling apart. And that's what I quite liked about Ghost Story. It was like the town was just going into chaos and it was like a, vi- a virus-type entity that was, like, involving in itself into different people's lives sort of thing. And it aged hold no bounds as well. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting. I mean, you know, she's very, um, I mean, she's very vindictive. I mean, but you know what I think, I, what I found another thing that was quite interesting about Peter Strauss' story as well, that, um, that basically when her intended to be or her fiancé basically gets killed and the whole town basically turned their back and that basically that no one, you know, it's like for the funeral or anything like that. And no one actually cared about her. They all turned their back on her that, you know, you know, let's face it. Like, so, you know, something happens and you're engaged to get married to someone and that person dies. Normally you have like a team and everyone, everyone gathers around you, but no one gathered around her. And that seems to be basically what started this whole thing going sort of thing is, is that, the whole town basically ignored her or shooed her. You know, she was something to, she was the biggest, she was a sin not to acknowledge that basically if, you know, they're like holding her responsible that basically if she wasn't engaged to him, then he might've lived. Though we do find out later that she might have something to do with his murder, but you know, but the town doesn't at a time sort of thing. So, and it seems like that basically, you know, I mean, as we said before, the movie is kind of a difference. It's its own, it's its own thing, which we'll get to. But it sounds like basically that 
you know, she's at, you know, she's after the whole town, basically. She's there to just get her revenge and do it whatever way she wants to. And there's no getting out, you know, and then we find out later in the book is that basically there's, you know, she even comes back is that once everything's done and you think everything's settled, then she decides to try it. She'll, she'll shapeshift as a little girl, which we find out later that little girl is her. And then basically she shapeshifts into a, what was it, a fly or a mosquito? A wasp. She turns into a wasp and he kills the wasp, which is the end of her. So basically, you know, he gets rid of the girl and then, of course, she shapeshifts into a wasp trying to get away. But luckily, Donald knows enough to get rid of her and that's how he gets rid of her. But every time they try to get rid of this character, she just shapeshifts into something else. So, so it was quite interesting the way that they were able to end, you know, Alma. I mean, I guess we'll stick to Alma. Let's call her Alma throughout everything because there's so many different, she has so many character names that, you know, that's the way to get, you know, that's the way they actually have to get rid of her. They have to, you know, you have to, you kill her or whatever happens. And then you got to make sure that she hasn't shapeshifted into anything else sort of thing. Odd, but different. So, on a how many Alma movies would you score this out of five? Starting with you, Craig. Oh, definitely. I'd, for the detail, I'll give it um, five out of five. What about yourself, Leandro? Same. <laughs> and myself, I'm going to give it a solid five out of five. I think. I don't know if I, I won't read this book anytime soon again, but you know, I, I can find myself picking this up and reading it again at some point. Cause I really, really did enjoy it. I thought. Yeah. Well, what I really like is like, for example, I know now because I have, I have read several books from Stephen King and I like the way he describes things and how he explains things mm-hmm. right in the story. And with this book, I found it that also I like it the way maybe in you could find maybe a sim- similarity, not exactly the same, but it's a, I like the way. And I've been really enjoying all these books we have been reading because the, the last ones, because it's like a kind of like travel around USA. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, I enjoy that when, you know, when, when the description can is good and then you can imagine the place and maybe, I don't know, it happened, I haven't done it this time, but in other times that sometimes I, if they name a place, I go try to go to Google Earth to see how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like the complexity of the book, but I like the fact that it was complex, but it wasn't overcomplicated. It was easy to follow because sometimes, you know, when you're reading something and then it's just it's at one point you say, what the hell is going on? You have to then <laughs> read back but, it was it was quite easy to follow, but really really complex, and it was really well detailed, well written. I mean, it. I also say it does stick in your head after you read. Now, I've read since finishing this book. I've now read four books. I'm in the middle of the fourth book after finishing this book because I, you know, this took me a while to read, but I have um, book reviews that need to be done, so I put I put those off, and I read this, and then. I read the other books and I have to sit there and say that out of the four books I read, this book still stuck in my head further than the ones I've been doing reviews on. So, so yeah, 
My hat's off to Ghost Story. This brings us to Ghost Story, the 1981 American supernatural horror film directed by John Irvin and starring Fred Astaire, Mervyn Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., John Hausman, Craig Watson, and Alice Creed, based on the 1979 novel. It follows a group of elderly businessmen in New England who gather to recount their involvement in a woman's death besides prior blah, involvement in a wolf death decades prior when one of them suspects her ghost has been haunting them. It was the last film to feature Fred Astaire. Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and um, Douglas or D Melvin Douglas, who died four months before the film was released, and the first film to feature Michael O'Neill. The film was shot in Woodstock, Vermont, Saratoga Springs, New York, and Stetson University in Dillon, Florida. It was released in the United States on December 18, 1981. We're going to cut to the trailer, but we're also going to cut to the synopsis, which we had recorded, because this the movie story is a bit different from the book story, so we'll be right back. I will take you places where you have never been. To the start. I will show you things that you have never seen. Beginning. And I will see the life run out of you. Long ago, on a cold, dark night, in this peaceful New England village, something happened. Something too terrifying to remember. Something too frightening to forget. Something that has remained a secret until now. Is anyone else seeing things? Am I the only one having nightmares? Universal Pictures presents Fred Astaire, Melvin Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., John Hausman, Ghost Story, from the terrifying best-selling novel by Peter Straub. Who's this? He's found a picture of her. That's not possible. The girl, the men, the evil, silence. Dad, I'm telling you something happened. I'm telling you something. I think he may have been murdered. The house, the fear, the nightmare, the vengeance, the terror, the truth. Not now, Rick. Yes. Now, something's happening, something terrible. I fear that more of us are going to die. No, we, we, we must talk about it. Ah, uh, she is not the person you think she is. <laughs> Who are you? Oh, no, please, let's not stop. She's worried you have the wrong idea about her. Everything about her is wrong. No, please, please let me talk about her. Get away from her, Dave. <laughs> what are you? She's dangerous. Listen to me, please. <laughs> They will learn that they have never been forgiven. <laughs> Ghost story. The time has come to tell the tale.
Ghost Story, the film synopsis. In a small New England town during the frigid winter season of 1979, four elderly friends, businessmen Ricky Halthorn, lawyer Sears James and Dr. John Jaffrey and Mayor Edward Charles Wanderley form the Chowder Society, an informal men's club who get together each week to share tales of horror. Edward's son David, living in New York City, falls from his apartment window after seeing a girl he's been sleeping with suddenly turn into a living corpse. His other son Don comes home at Edward's request. Sometime after David's funeral, Edward sees him walking through town during a snowstorm and follows him to a bridge where he disappears. Calling out to his dead son, Edward suddenly sees a female apparition and he falls to his death from the bridge. Meanwhile, two escaped patients from a mental asylum, Gregory and Fenny Bate, have taken up residence in the old Ava Galley house, now in ruins. Doubting his father committed suicide, Don approaches the remaining three friends and tells them a ghost story to gain membership into the Chowder Society. In a flashback, Don tells the story of how he, a college professor in Florida, began a torrid affair with a mysterious secretary named Alma, soon becoming engaged. Alma insisted she wanted to marry Don in his hometown of Milburn, but he was reluctant as he considered the town boring. Don soon began to suspect that something was wrong with Alma, a gut feeling that was vindicated one night when he touched her and realized she was as cold as a corpse. Don eventually broke things off with a furious Alma, who disappeared from his life. He fell into a deep depression, costing him both his reputation and his job. A month later, Don called David in New York and learned to his horror that he has become engaged to Alma. Don desperately tried to warn David about her, but his brother scoffed at the warning. The elderly friends reacted to Don's story. Sears remains very skeptical. Don then shows the three elders an old photograph he's found among his father's possessions. In it, there is a striking young woman who is a dead ringer for Alma. Jeffrey, realizing what has happened, pleads with his friends to tell the truth, but is rebuffed. The next day, Jeffrey has a nightmare about Alma and dies of a heart attack. Sears and Ricky finally explain to Don that, in the spring of 1929, the four friends became smitten with a young flirtatious girl named Ava Galley. Edward first took her to bed, but he was impotent with her. Outside her house, the other three friends serenaded Ava in hopes of catching a glimpse of her when a shirtless Edward came to the window instead, giving the impression that he slept with her. Edward left with his friends. The four became very drunk, discussing Ava's prowess in the bedroom. They returned to the house where all but Sears danced with her. When it was proposed that they leave, Sears suggestedly insisted on getting his dance, to which Ava pointedly responded that she intended to dance with all of them. Ava confronted Edward about what he had told his friends, then began to tell them the truth when young Edward leapt to, to silence her, knocking her down and accidentally smashing her head into the stone fireplace. Horrified, the young man believed the unresponsive Ava to be dead. They considered calling the police, but realized it would only mean ruining their lives. Instead, they load Ava's body into her car and pushed her into a nearby lake. As the car descended, Ava stirred inside, looking out at them from the back window, screaming and hammering at the glass as the car sank. Back in the present, Ava and Sears revealed that the Chowder Society never talked about it again, not even with each other. Due to Ava's reputation, the townsfolk were relieved when she'd gone missing and assumed that she simply skipped town. However, they admitted that her death has haunted them all these years. Whereas Sears is dubious, but Ricky and Don believe that Alma and Ava are the, the same woman and that her ghost has returned to seek revenge. Don suggests they go to Ava's old house to confront the past and her ghost once and for all. 
They go there, but Don falls on the rotting stairs and breaks his legs. Sears leaves in his car to seek help, leaving Don and Ricky behind. While driving through the snow town, snow, while driving through the snowstorm, Sears comes upon Ava's apparition. He slams on the brakes and swerves to the side of the road. He survives, but is attacked and killed by Fenny Bake, one of Ava's accomplices. Ricky realizes something happened to Sears and leaves to get help. He's picked up by Gregory Bate, who tells him of Ava's plans for them both, but Ricky stabs him and escapes, telling the authorities to pull Ava's car out from the lake to reveal her body inside. This is intercut with Don, who confronts the rotting specter of Elma slash Ava. Ricky and the authorities drag out the ancient car and wrench open the rusted corroded door. The rotting corpse of Ava lunges into view and falls harmlessly to the ground. Now that the truth about Ava is known, Don is spared from her vengeance and the town is restored to peace. And that is the film synopsis of Ghost Story. Hello, welcome back to Literature License Podcast. We're discussing Ghost Story, the 1981 film directed by John Irwin. So, Leandro, what are your thoughts of Ghost Story, the 1981 film? Um... Well, it's my first. It's the first time I watch a movie uh, with Fred Astaire. I have I have seen some little videos of him dancing, but I never saw him acting. I uh, really enjoyed the movie. Uh, <laughs> for me, it's really funny to when I watch these type of movies, watch the visual effects. And for example, when the man was falling from the the <laughs> <laughs> that kind of New York I don't know, skyscraper it was really fun because you realize that the images like overlapped. And <laughs> yeah. um, and the same, you know, when, when for example when they were showing you there was like a ghost, but at the same time a person. That I found it really, really clever. Um no, I really enjoyed the, the movie. I think it's like really well of course. These days, well, at least to me, I watch this movie and I don't feel like fear of being scary. And mm. I think it's because these days, even the reality is harder than <laughs> the, mm. the movies sometimes, you know, it's like, um, but no, I, I really enjoyed um, the twist that they, they made. And yeah. No, it was really, really, really clever. Um, I don't know. The, I can't remember the name of the actress. Alice Creek. But I think that she was, I don't know who was or who chose her, but it's amazing because um, this lady has like, a, I don't know for me, right? Like a crazy face. Like someone, you know, when you, you were... Uh, also, well, imagine that she's a really good actress because you can see that. But it's like she was looking to to the the character she was talking to, and you see that it's like there's something that you can understand. You know, the way she looks is like, um, yeah. No, it was. I really, really, really enjoyed it, watching this movie. You know, sometimes you watch these movies and oh, it's another half an hour, <laughs> but not, mm. not, not. This one wasn't the case. I, I really. Enjoy it. Um, also, when appeared the plowman with the machine, you know that, um, and the, that scene for me was really, really cool. Actually, appeared he appeared twice, and um, yeah, 
no, I really, really enjoyed it. I would recommend it. And about yourself, Craig, what, do you th- what are your thoughts on the film? Um, I like the movie. It, it was dated, don't get me wrong, but it was 1981, so I give it some allowances. But um, I like the... I like the the chowder scenes. There's a lot of smoking, which is unusual because you don't see that normally anymore because smoking so taboo sort of thing nowadays. So that was interesting. But it was quite, I could I could get into the scene and, you know, I could imagine like it probably like their, you know, their, their, um, their reading rooms probably smelt like cedar wood and, and things like that. And, and I got, I got the, the gist of that and it was quite nice. Um I like the scenes where there was the ghost where she she would just pop up sort of thing, but it wasn't just a ghost. It was almost like a creep show, like zombified um, skeletal mm. thing. You know, that was quite, quite funny, but, but quite cool. I thought, God, you know, it, it, it's almost like two movies, like, cause it was, um, you've got the whole suspenseful ghost story but then you've got like then you they remind you shit you know it's an 80s movie and it's horror so then they'll throw that in um it had the sort of vibe of um what uh the murder on the orient express that's how i would (laughs) describe the movie where everyone's involved in the end and you know and and i kind of felt sorry for i really i sort of felt sorry for um the, the the ghost in the end because you know, at the end of the day, you know, they all they all took an act a part in, in killing her because of bravado and and then when you see her in the carriage and she's actually alive and then not only if they they almost they thought they'd murder her but they hadn't and then she's going to drown <laughs> and then I thought yeah come on come back with a vengeance and get these bastards you know but um, yeah it was. Um, it was all right. It was a it was a good movie to watch. Um, I preferred the book, though I've got to say. Um, but I think because the book was more detailed, I think they, they probably didn't have enough time to include as much detail and with the budget that was in the book. And maybe that's why they had they must have been directional differences or something where that it just got chopped and changed. Um, but yeah, it well, was. I, a what, good movie. I mean, I found with the film, which is kind of bizarre, is is that. Um, I mean, I think that I think they had a good script, sort of thing, and then, you know, of course they, you know, they. She's not a manatee; she's shapeshifter now. I mean, she's a ghost now, sort of thing. And so basically, they had to, you know, chop and change story to fit fit that narrative. And but, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that the guy, you know, her death scene, you know, like in the book, for instance, her death scene basically is. You know, she lures him back to the house and basically it's, you know, they accidentally push her sort of thing. Um, and be, be, But she's the antagonist behind it. The movie, the guys are the antagonist behind her death. And so it's, it kind of shit the whole change from the book sort of thing, because basically it's like, you know, one guy couldn't get it up. And then he brings all his friends drunk to her house expecting, you know, and then they're all expecting to get some because she gave it out to one person. And then it becomes kind of this kind of a rape sexual thing, you know, which, you know, and then as, as you were saying is that, you know, and then her, you know, you know, he accidentally pushes her. She hits her head against something, basically. It's almost, 
Keith, it's almost like saying back then, like these things were accepted. And, you know, if, if this woman, you know, if you ever get in a situation where there's like a frat house versus a woman and, and something happens, then, you know, it's okay, you know, just, just dispose of her in a pond, you know. But, well, the yeah. thing is, is like, you know, because of the story, I mean, the movie, I think, the, I think the movie works on its own merit sort of thing, but. You know, the thing is, if she is getting revenge on these people and stuff like this, they kind of deserve it. You know, yeah. the, and the funny thing about like the book, in the book, they don't deserve it. What's going on in the book is totally different. But in the movie, they mm-hmm. kind of deserve what's happening to them, really. They're guilty of killing her, living prosperous lives, getting on with their lives, and then basically just having her at the bottom of the pond or the, it's not even a lake, just at the bottom of a pond sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, when uh, the car was drowning, and then one of them goes up to the the knees or something like that, and he was standing there. <laughs> and there's, I think there's a tell. The thing is, is, like they didn't. I don't know. If they felt guilty about it because at the end of the day, because normally what you see is like if something happens, you get a group of friends, and let's say someone dies, you know, due to care, you know, some being careless or whatever. And then what we normally would find is that those friends are all fractured. They don't stay together. You know what I mean? They kind of like, you know, we won't mention again, but then their friendship doesn't stay. They kind of, they don't become friends anymore for whatever reason. Here, they all stay friends. They all, they all stay together. It doesn't even ruin their lives. If anything, I mean, they end up becoming even, pro, you know, financially well off because of it as well. Not because of the murder, but you know what I mean? It didn't have to have it. It didn't seem to have any effect on them until they got old and they started dreaming about it. Mm. sort of thing and yeah i mean that's what made the movie i mean i'm gonna the thing is i like the movie and i think i like the movie only because you see all these very old actors and this is the last film role you know we got john you know we're gonna be seeing you know and when our two for one because we're doing the changeling and the fog john houseman does the fog the same year and Mervyn Douglas does the change the same year as ghost story. And these are their last films that they do before they die. So it's good. So it's quite, quite an interesting month for, as far as carrying the actors over. And I thought, and I can understand why they kind of went in this direction because let's face it, the whole, the book is called ghost story. And, you know, and in the movie, I think the book, the reason why the book is called Ghost Stories, because it's about these group of guys who get together and they say ghosts, they give each other ghost stories. But the story is actually about something else sort of thing. Mm. The movie, I think what thought that, okay, that we're going to, we need to call it ghost story because it's based on ghost story, but we need to make sure it is a ghost story. So that way, if they did the whole book premise sort of thing, I think maybe they thought the audiences would be a bit confused because it's not a ghost story mm. sort of thing, maybe. But um, I have, and I think the script is good, and I think everything's good, but my problem with the movie is that it lacks atmosphere. Yeah. You know, there's not a, there's not a lot of atmosphere, and everything's kind of like, it's either really, really dark when they're in a dark room, or it's very, very bright. But it kind of lacks an atmosphere. You kind of want like a a foreboding atmosphere that so basically like you're watching it and there's something just creepy there's something a bit creepy around the edges about it like and a I christmas think, carol excuse me like a christmas carol when when you sense the spirits coming and you know yeah. you know, it does it, it lacks that it kind of feels like yeah you know, i mean it, 
you know, I understand like in the past, you know, when they have like, you know, they kind of do that Vaseline around the lens sort of thing. And, you know, when they go back to when they're younger, I can understand that sort of thing. But you kind of want, you know, like when they're at Anna's, Anna Mobley's house, you kind of, you just kind of want this, there's no sense of foreboding. There's not the sense of, mm. you know, something horrible going on and something creeping in or something like that. Kind of felt a little bit like a TV movie, you know, those old, <laughs> those old horror TV movies. <laughs> but you know i think that i mean if you look at this done in the past you know tinker tinker taylor spy the craze he directed he directed let him have it um and widow's peak he, he's a really a noun english director sort of thing and i think that they probably would have been better with maybe someone who had a little bit more sense in directing horror or something like that so but, and, you know, and I was thinking about if they made this film today, would they be able to do it? Even if they did it as, I mean, I don't, I think you would have to make it like a Netflix series. But you don't really have the caliber of old actors that you could use nowadays. I mean, I guess you could throw Alan Arkin and Michael Douglas in there somewhere. And I guess Bruce Willis is about the age now, isn't he? So, because they're all about in their 70s. Bruce Willis is 69 now. Sort of thing. And, yeah, so... Well, uh, yeah, but do you reckon if they would do that, like, the remake, it would work? You know, I think that if you set it, I think if you set it in the time that it's set, and I think it'd be nice to do a, a representation of the book, because I think the book is so detailed. Um, and I think that you could, I think you could do it. I mean, even if you divide it up in, let's say, three or four parts, because the way the book is constructed, and let's say that you did even two an hour or two hours for every part, the way the book is constructed that you would still have, it's still eerie. I mean, there's enough there to keep it there. I mean, you do start off with her, you know, him there and then going back and then you get the story of him, then you get the story of the, the Ghost Brothers. I mean, that's another thing in Ghost Story. They try to bring in those ghost brothers, but they're they're not ghosts. They're real people. Yes. But they kind of aim to bring them in, and then they, they disappear. I don't know where they go. You know, Fenton and his brother. It's like, you know, we see, we yeah, see one of them. It was really interesting because it was like she went for one of them, right? And then it's like there were twins. Well, that's what I understood, right? And then she went yeah. for the other one. They're kind of like, okay, well, she got a, she got confused. <laughs> I don't know because at the end, the, the one who has heard her is like is the one that is alive, and the other one that didn't even know her. <laughs> like, yeah, and then you have the one, the, the guy who's working with her with his weird little brother, and apparently, like they were part of a cult. And then he's like, you know, they're going around going, "Oh, she's gonna get you," uh, and then um, something like. And then, and then it's like when he's, you know, basically, I think he killed in the, you know, when John Houseman's character gets killed in the car accident or whatever like that, and he's in the car with him, and it's like, well, I don't, and then, and then the little brother like bounces out of the car, and he, but you don't really know, you don't really know how they became involved because they're not ghosts or anything like that, like they're in the book, they're like real people, and you're like, okay, how does she, get, how does she grow up these two people, and what does she promise them, but. But it's kind of like a leftover from the book, but the book explains it. With this, they don't really explain it in the movie. You don't know how, 
Yeah, they kind of like taking bits and pieces and they didn't put it together properly to finish off their story. So I think that didn't make a lot of sense. But to me, what was a bit in- interesting is like in the movie they even mentioned when when they commit the crime, right? And she, well, as far as I understood, she was a real person. No one, did they even mentioned it. No one got in- interested in knowing what happened to her. Kind of like mm-hmm. okay. They kill her, she disappears, and story. No one asks. The, the, the house remains closed. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, didn't she have any family or anything that came around looking for her? Or... Yeah, it was weird. Because they, they, they say, they go, oh, what happened when she let, oh, you know, they just thought that she moved on. Okay, well, what, no one, yeah. she had nobody, hmm. no family, nothing. She just disappeared and no one cared. And then when they do find her, you, you know, this is another thing that's kind of weird about the movie. It's like, you know, if something happens and, you you know, you find out, you know, they find the body, you know, years and years later, decades and decades later. I mean, does Fred Astaire's character, Ricky, just go on with his life or does he get charged for her murder or does he, you know, it's like, oh, well, you're an old man now or, or let's pretend this didn't happen or... Because you don't really know, because this ends with her, I guess, lying at rest. Now that her body's been found, I guess she lies to rest. So I guess that she doesn't need to haunt anyone anymore. But does, does Ricky have to pay for the crimes of his sins? Because you don't know. So yes, it reminds uh, me. Of, so, I mean, it, it reminds me of. Um, there's a Tales from the Crypt. I think it's season four episode one called None But the Lonely Heart. And it's where this con artist, he meets wealthy old widows and for a dating service and he murders them to get the inheritance but then they keep coming back to haunt him <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, it just reminded me of that with the effects when she comes back as this corpse thing like skeletal I mean I, you know I guess another thing I don't quite understand is that I guess it's the ghost the ghost story about it as well because you know they're they're in New England. They changed the they changed the setting of the story because it's no longer New York State is New England, which means um, New England states are Connecticut, Vermont, New Hampshire. You know that's New that's New England. So they kind of changed that. But then she appears in California to so and would ghosts do that? I mean, because maybe, but I know that like in let's say let's say ghost stories that we know normally ghost stories are kind of stuck in a an area they don't tend to travel cross state. <laughs> might have a freedom pulse. <laughs> yeah, you know, like the Amityville horror. You know, the thing is, you know, whether you believe it's true or not. I mean, those those ghosts don't those ghosts don't leave the house. They pretty much stay in the house. They don't they don't tend to travel around or poltergeist. You know, they didn't. Well, I guess I mean poltergeist. They the second one that that ghost travels in the Carolina in the second one the thing um the house i suppose that one traveled but and why did she wait so long to get vengeance and that's another thing i found a bit confusing about the movie why would you wait 60 years to get vengeance yeah that, i found that really interesting because it's like there's no even saying okay i don't know if they would have say okay this thing happens every year Every year, someone has a vision of, of, or something strange happened, but it's just, okay, in that time, just because it happened, it happened, boom, she appeared back again. I want to take revenge. Yeah, that was really... Uh, an interesting thing is that the wife of uh, Fred Astaire in this movie is Patricia Neal, 
Patricia Neal is a world famous actress, but you probably what you might find even more interesting is that she is the wife or was the wife of Raul Dahl. The really, oh. so, yeah, so Raul Dahl of you know Matilda and BFG and yeah, yeah, Tales yeah. of the Unexpected, so on and so forth. So, yeah, hmm. um, I mean, overall, I mean, I took the film and I imagine that if you read the book and went to see the film, I think you'd be highly disappointed in the two of them. Um, I knew that they're, I knew that they were totally different. So that's the reason why I did two synopsis this time, one synopsis for the book and a synopsis for the film, because they are kind of two different things. Which, um, I mean, as a movie itself, I think it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a fine movie. It's an interesting movie. I, I enjoyed it as a representation of the book. It's very disappointing sort of thing, you know, but, you know, but it, it's a, it's an odd thing. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. well, I, I think I, it's I, a thing that, that, that we will find like everyone who decides to, I don't know, read the, um, the book and then watch the movie, you will always find, okay, the director, I don't know what we're thinking. This is like really mm-hmm. strange, not connected or, is really accurate. And I think that that sometimes I think happens when when they're going to make the adaptation, right? Um, they, they get the rights. I think that's the condition that maybe the author put. Because, for example, when Harry Potter was going to be made, the first movie, um, okay, um, she sold the rights. She sold the rights with one condition, that she could be in the set all the time checking if they were doing what they were saying they were going to do and to this, they respect the story. And that's why when you watch the movies, you said, okay, yes, it's, it's with a different, with a, some tweaks because they have to do it because it's impossible sometimes. But it's really, really like accurate to the story. The same I found in like The Lord of the Rings and other movies. So. Well, to be honest, I think to do Ghost. I mean, I, th- I think that, like, I don't think you could do Ghost Story, the book, in a two-hour movie, really. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you know, are the two stories linked? The only thing that links them are the character names, but everything in uh, everything else beyond that is nothing. I mean, there's nothing comparing these two movies, I mean, the book and the movie whatsoever. The the movie is a totally different story from the book. Just a, it's just a name only, and the character names. That's the only thing that, which is you know, what makes it quite interesting. That basically you can take the book, you can take you can buy the rights to a book, and and basically take the book and take the care take the characters, and then run, run, kind of do your own story sort of thing. And that's pretty much what they've done. They, you know, there's nothing you know. And I have, you know, and I guess that's probably the best way to do a really thick book into into an hour and a half to a two hour movie sort of thing, because I don't, you know, I do think that if you did bring in the, you know, the plot from the book into the movie, I mean, you know, that means bringing in the Manitou, bringing in the shape-shifting, right, you know, explaining all that situation out and sort of thing, you know, and then, and then also, you know, you got a bunch of, you know, classic Hollywood actors that you've thrown into this movie. And I mean, let's face it, these, 
these actors are basically the cream of the crop. I mean, we're talking about this is old Hollywood, and these this is their last film. I mean, Fred Astaire, um, you know, you know, Doug, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and you know Mervyn Douglas and John Houseman. I mean, we're talking about you know royalty, Hollywood royalty, and I imagine that they probably didn't come cheap, yeah. sort of thing. Well, probably they would have uh, hired four different uh, actors, not really, really famous. They would have been able to do the proper story and be three parts. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I do think that, I think this, you know, another thing that's quite interesting is that at this time in 1981, television was really big on the miniseries. The miniseries were coming where they're taking really thick books and able to adapt them into uh, like five or six, six night you know, television events. And I think that Ghost Story probably could have done that quite easily. You know, they probably could have turned it into that. And then you could, like, kind of, then you kind of could have got your whole shape shifter storyline there. The Alma character appearing in all these different ages and different time periods and so on and so forth. And, you know, and the go, and, you know, you know, ghost stories are happening like you know the fenton storyline and the brother and so on and so forth and yeah i think that that's the only way that you probably could do this justice though saying that i that a movie quite like the story that the movie tells i i'm just i just find that i found the direction a bit weak i kind of wish it kind of had just a bit more atmosphere to it mm. you know You know, when we do the changeling in two weeks' time, I mean that—that's a film with a lot of atmosphere and stuff like this, or the fog. Um, the haunting is another one. You know, the classic 1960s film. It's got a lot of atmosphere, so I kind of wish it had a bit more atmosphere. Though I have to sit there and say that Alice Creed was fantastic. You know, the woman who gets hurt comes back. She's brilliant. You know, Craig Weston, the young guy in it. I mean. You know, he did body double, and you know, he's also known for Nightmare on Elm Street three, sort of thing. Uh, mm. Yeah, I think I think they could have done with a better character than him because whenever he felt scared or frightened, he kind of looked a bit hammy. Ah, okay. Is there anything else you want to add about the movie Ghost Story? I agree. What I agree what Leandro said, but I think it. I think it could do with a remake or some like ruching up a bit, like um, even a Netflix series or something or something. I think that would do it justice because I think it deserves it. It's a good story. Yeah, I agree. We got a, you know, we got a great big, we got a great multifaceted book storyline that kind of was peered down to like a, Murder mystery story, which is not the thing, and that's not what the book is. Sort of thing, so. I, I, really, I don't know this. I'm going to ask maybe you know. Um, in th that time when this movie was made, there used to be really long movies like three hours, or the majority of them used to last an hour and a half, two hours as maximum. I think that um, around this time, films, um, the film industry was kind of. I mean, you had your Godfathers and things like this. Yes, but, well, um, but I think you know about 
you know, an hour, 45 minutes to two hours. They didn't really go out past the two hour mark. And we're getting it to start in the multiplexes as well, where it's about turning, where long films were not seen as viable because you wanted as many um, showings as possible. And the shorter the film, the more showings you could show, which means the more people were going through the doors to see it. And that's the reason why, like, a lot of films in the 80s, um, 80s to the 90s are not that long. They all tend to be about an hour and a half. And it's very rare to get that to the mark at all and at, during that time period in films. And it had to do with the multiplexes, again, as many people through the door as possible. Yeah, because also I know that before they used to make, when they used to make the movie, they were, like, recording in a tape. And that used to be really, really expensive. So sometimes, you know, it's like, you know, imagine that the actor made a mistake. These days, it's digital. They do it again, there's no problem. But that time, it's like they couldn't um, record it on the top of the tape. You have to throw it away or cut it. Or So I was thinking, well, if you have Fred Astaire and all the other, but they're really good actors, plus visual effects, all that, well, probably they won't be able to make the story as it was. They have to start to change, 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 change to make it, and then, well, I mean, a lot of these actors that were filming this were actually, would end up dying within the year after the film was done. They were dealing with really old actors as well. So there might have been reprints on that as well that we don't know about. Marvin Douglas died, um, you know, four months before the movie was even released. So he well, died. John Houseman and Fred Astaire died within a year. And, and same thing with um, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. He died within a year as well. So all these old actors, you know, by the time the film was finished out, they would be dead within the year. So there could have been some restrictions on that as well. And, and the filming restrictions is like, yeah. we can't, you know, and the thing is, you know, the snow that you're seeing, all that snow and everything that you're seeing in this movie, that snow was real. It's not fake snow that they used, that they did the thing. They did they filmed it up that way, sort of thing. So that's gonna create a lot of problems as well, sort of thing. Yeah. You know, the cold cold people, sort of yeah. You know. Where I think if the story was kind of reversed a little bit, let's sit there and say that um, you know, you couldn't do it, but you know, let's say they had the younger selves done in the snow and then the older people done in, you know, like in the summertime that, you know, in reverse. Yeah, you might maybe it would have been different. <laughs> you know, a bunch of elderly men kind of wandering around in the snow and the cold. And I can tell you, in upstate New York, I mean, we're talking. You know, if we if I do it in Celsius, we're talking about like ten to twenty degrees minus Celsius. Oh wow! So that's what we get. Up there. That, that actress was really was really famous or not? They this go. was her first movie. Um, she did other. She's done other films since this time. She did Sleepwalkers, which is based on Stephen King. She's done other stuff outside, after this movie. But I and think it, this was... The trailer says introducing Creed, so I think it might be her first movie. And in all the movies, she's like a bit like crazy or not? Um, she does play crazy quite well. She also was in a couple Star Trek movies as well. Um, I think she was one of the Borgs or something like that. I'm not a Star Trek fan. You know, um, I'm sure that if you are a Star Trek fan, that you probably know more about her as far as that goes. But um, but yeah, she's um, 
she's done quite a you know a lot of things like this. Chariots of Fire she was in, um, that was her that was her first feature film, and then Ghost Story was after that. So you know, and she got a lot of good notices for Chariots of Fire because that was an Academy Award winning film and stuff like this. But she's from South Africa, that's where she's from. And she's a stage actress, but she's won Olivier Awards for on stage and stuff like that. And you know, she's kind of the person who does like King Lear and The Tempest and Taming of the Shrews. Oh, wow. She's like classically trained, she's a classically trained actress. Um, as far as her film career goes, her film career tends to be a bit on the dark side, but that might have something to do with. I think once she did Ghost Story, I think that kind of like, okay, you're going to be doing, you know, that might have typecast her somewhat. You know, but she's done like Barfly, Haunted Summer, Sleepwalkers, but yeah, Star Trek. But yeah, looking at her um, CV here, she seems to be, she seems to do a lot of the darker sci-fi slash horror films, or she tends to be, I mean, she's in a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that's coming out, and she plays the mother to Leatherface. So far as it, the, theatrically, yeah, I think she's classically trained. I think film-wise, I think she's probably been typecast a little bit. The author has got a lot of awards as well. Peter Strub. Yeah, he won. He's got eight Bram Stoker Awards, three International Horror Guild Awards, ten Fantasy World, World Fantasy Awards, and then he was made in 1997. He was made the Grand Master at the World Horror Convention. Um, and he got a Lifetime Horror Writers Association Achievement Award in t- 2005. No, 2010, he got a WFC Life Achievement Award. And you can I have to say that I probably, I probably okay. read a bit more Peter Strug's books, actually. I, yeah, it's I, I want to read more. So, on a scale of five, what would you what would you score this? Starting with you, Craig, the film. Oh, out of five, um, I'll, five. I'll give it a three out of five. I think because it's dated, and I think it's really overdue a, a remake. Hmm. And we have a stuff, Leandro. Um, even though has presence there, uh, four. I wouldn't say five of the five. But four is okay. I'm going to give it three, three and a half at a push sort of thing. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love that it has the old actors in it. I just think that, I think the director went a bit off. He needed to have a bit more atmosphere. If it had, if it had a, a creepy atmosphere, I would have given it a five star. Yeah. You know, it has, you know because I said before, the script, it's got a good script. And I like the ghost story side of it, though it has nothing to do with the book. But if it just it was just a bit more creepier and would haunt me a bit more, I probably would enjoy it. And nothing to do with the special effects. You don't need special effects to make it creepy, sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've been finding that I used to watch a, not a lot of uh, terror movies when I was a kid, but then then I started to watch more, more, more. And then the last movie that that I found that it was like uh, feeling like anxious and, and all that type of feelings. It was like so. Yeah, and if you see the movie, it's not a terror movie, but 
is is create that tension, and then after that, I, I that was the last one I have seen. I have seen, for example, Scream and has those tension moments, but there's nothing like it's like terror. Like I don't know, like and maybe it's because I grow up. Or um, I think that too, um, I think the hardest thing to do in a film is create atmosphere and keep an atmosphere going. Yes. There have been some modern stuff that I have that seen that does keep an atmosphere going that haunts you long after you watch it. Wolf Creek was like that for me. I saw Wolf Creek and that movie stayed with me for a good couple weeks afterwards. It's like still like haunting me afterwards. I'm not talking about like nightmares, stuff like this, but kind of just set me on edge. Um, a film called Switchblade Romance, Hope Hold Ho Tian Xiong, um, did that for me. A lot of um, French horror films do that for me as well. Um, American films, you know, whether it's your, the Conjuring films or any of those kind of films, I mean, they're fine. I'll watch them, but they don't really create them. They don't, you know, they kind of have you like your shop things. Like, there's always going to be, you know, they're going to be the, you know, the window thing, the, the mirror. It's like the mirror. They look at themselves in the mirror, they go down and they look up and there's someone there, and, you know, the, <laughs> and the shop. You know, there's always a shop thing. But when they yeah. open the bathroom, cabinet with the mirror on it. <laughs> yeah. They close it. And but, oh, I guess the, the others is quite good with Nicole Kidman. That has a, that has an eerie creepiness to it. You know, Nicole Kidman and the others, I'll get, you know, that does. So the, everyone's, everyone's, um, the innkeepers gives, has a creepiness to it sort of thing that you kind of like. The Candyman. You feel on edge while watching it. So they do, do, there are some films out. I think it's a hard thing to do though. Talking about ghosts, one movie I would like to recommend is I watched the other day the new Ghostbusters. Oh, any okay. good? I haven't seen it. With, with Melissa McCarthy and other other four girls, and I really, really, really like it because it's a new movie, more or less same subject, but appear all the actors, all the all the the four or five old ones, they appear even. The slime, the slime uh, goes. All the goes appear at least one second. Even um, what's the name? Things or uh, this name is really hard to pronounce. Weaver, the actress. Sigourney Weaver. Yes, she appeared at the at the last part of the movie for I don't know. It's uh, maybe it's a minute, but I really really like it how they put it together. You know, because I think that you know sometimes when you watch an, a movie that they're trying to recreate it like these days. You you will still have like attached to the the original one, so I really 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 enjoy the the twist. I think that that's a good way to catch the audience, you know. Uh, I'll give that a shot. Actually, I'll tell you what's really good that I'm quite enjoying is the Chucky um, TV series is quite good. Is that on Netflix? I'm loving it. I'm watching it through a website that's. Um, um, Sort of thing, but hopefully it'll open here. Actually, it's really good. Andy Barclay's back. Jennifer Tilly's back. All every single person that um, lived in all the Child's Play films comes back. I, I just saw the new, I just saw the new Candyman, and they they returned to Cabrini Green in uh, the new Candyman, which is really good. It's like a little nod to the to the first one. I would I like, like to watch the movie. Yeah, also the Freddy Krueger one because when it was a kid. I used to be scared of Freddy, you know, um, and I watched like parts, but not, not, never completely the, the whole three. And when I remember when I was like nine years old, I used to watch X Files. Mm. 
and mm. it, it was really weird because there were it was not it was like feel scared, but it, I, I used to like because there were all some not some episodes they were explaining what happened, but the others that they could never resolve completely the case. And you know when it did, did, did you thinking, um, I remember the, the 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 intro of the program. There was a face doing like all like, um, make making the the picture like larger. And it was mm-hmm. just really like scary about that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's Eugene Toombs, wasn't it? Where he could stretch his body into like small crevices to kill people. Eugene Toombs. So. Okay, so what we're going to do is uh, I think we'll finish off our ghost story episode and just to let you know that next week will be a bewitch and our two for one, the 80s, will become Change from 1981 and The Fog from 1981. Um, and then, of course, we'll be continuing with Dark Shadows. And so it's good night for myself. Good night, Leandro. Have a good night. I'll see you soon. <laughs> good night, Craig. Good night, everybody. Thank you. And our next Kings of Horror will be Little Shop of Horrors. Um, which is a remake from the 1960s classic by Roger Corman, but we'll be covering the musical, which came out in 1988. So we'll see you next time. Kind of girl I am, he's my kind of guy